Good morning. I don't know if it's uh, as confusing as maybe different this morning's been. I'd like to start with a, a riddle for you, a spiritual riddle, to just make it more fun. What is it that you have when you possess it? You know that you have it and possess it, but if you don't possess it, you're not always aware that you don't have it. You may not be aware. No, that's confusing. What is it that when you possess it, you most surely or most likely know you possess it, but if you don't possess it, you may not even be aware that you don't possess it. And the answer is a clear conscience. At least that was my riddle, and you'll have to bear with me as I try to explain that. Do you ever think about a clear conscience and how valuable it really is? What does the Lord think about us having a clear conscience? And the sermon title is in your bullet, and the cost of a clear conscience. What did it cost our Lord Jesus that we can have a clear conscience and a clean conscience? And what will it cost you and me if we don't have a clear conscience and may not be aware that oftentimes we don't have a clean conscience and it affects us greatly? We're not always aware of it. So how valuable is a clear conscience? And do you think about a clear conscience? And I hope that when we leave today... It'll be emblazoned in your mind to never forget, when you think of a clear conscience, how important it really is and how detrimental it can be to your spiritual life and to the body of Christ, really, if you don't have a clean and a clear conscience and how to have it. The concept of a clear conscience is so important that the Apostle Paul, in his letters, mentions a clean conscience 20 times in his letters. In the book of Hebrews, the writer mentions it several times. And in 1 Peter, Peter mentions a clear conscience several times. So it's important. In, in Hebrews chapter 5.14, it tells us that solid food is for the spiritually mature whose senses, and this is related to a clear conscience, our spiritual senses are trained by practice to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. You've heard that verse before, I'm sure. Those who are spiritually mature have their senses trained to practice continuously to learn to distinguish between what is good and what is evil, morally right and wrong. And that's important. And our consciences don't just automatically tell us what's right and wrong and and always know the proper difference. We must train our senses, train our conscience through practice of truth. Hebrews 5.14 is very important there. Jesus tells us and warns us not to judge by outward or external appearances alone. And that's our temptation, isn't it? To see something, we immediately can put it in a category. That's, that's dangerous. He tells us to make righteous judgments. What does he mean? There's, a, there's an old Indian saying that says, Never judge a man till you walk a mile in his moccasins. You ever hear that? So true. It's so easy to make judgments in external by looking at externals, but we can't always know that we're completely accurate. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ, if you're a believer today. You have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? So the word conscience, as we talk about a clear conscience, in the Bible, the word literally means two things. It means together with knowledge or joint knowing. Um, it's where we join our, our moral and our spiritual understanding as part of being created 
in the, the image of God. In, in our world, have you ever seen cartoons, maybe if you're maybe my, my age, they'll have a cartoon where there'll be like a devil on the shoulder and an angel on the shoulder, and the angel says, don't do that. And the devil says, go ahead and do it. That's conscience. That's the idea of a conscience. And our consciences can be confused. This is what we're trying to say. We have to train them. Uh, in Romans 2.15, it tells us that all humans have a conscience. It tells us even, even those who don't know the Lord. Um, I'll read it for you in Romans 2, verse 14. It says, even, Indeed, when Gentiles, these are non-Jewish people, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. What does that mean? Sometimes even in our, our world, those who don't even believe in the Lord have a conscience that tells them when they're doing something right and when they're doing something wrong. It can accuse them and it can defend them. The problem is, and, and this is where we relate as believers as well, we can fall into the same predicament where our conscience is accusing us when we're really not doing something wrong and it can defend us when we are doing something wrong. See the danger? And if you know, look at our world today, sadly, in our own country and throughout the world, we're seeing a tremendous problem with a, a good, a, a clear conscience doing sin, right? Many sins are being done today morally, immorally, I should say, uh, in the name, and have a clear, people that have a clear conscience should not have a clear conscience. They should not. And then there are many believers who should have a clear conscience and don't. You should uh, have, possibly have it. You're being confused. Um, again, we look at the world, even the world has a conscience. So what about a Christian? What's our conscience to be like? How is our conscience to be different? The Bible says there's basically three types of consciences that we can have, and sometimes we transition from one to another. One, the first one is what we just said, a clear conscience. Secondly, a weak or an untrained conscience. And three, an evil or defiled conscience. And then I would even say, it was mentioned this morning by Randy in our Sunday school class, you can have a, even a fourth category, I think, that would be probably an unbeliever who would say a seared conscience, which means there's no conscience at all. Nothing gets through uh, without any concern or care at all. So where, where would we fit in and what are we to look for when it comes to the importance of a clear conscience? Uh, the verse that I wanted to, uh, I would have put on the over, but it's okay. It's Acts chapter 24, 16. It's in, it's in the bulletin, and it goes like this, and this is what I want you to kind of remember this passage. So I strive always, Paul says, because of the resurrection, he says, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. <clears throat> his goal, his wish, is in asking God that because of what's happened in being born again, being saved, and you and I being saved, our, our will should be that we always can have a clear conscience toward God and men. At the, and, and literally, uh, that version, I like, says, void of offense. I'll get to that in a second. But let me just say this. I don't believe that you can have a clear conscience toward God and not have a clear conscience towards men. You have one or, and you can have both together. 
And you can't have a bad conscience towards men, but say you have a clear conscience before God. They're both related. Amen? You, you have the, the horizontal relationship with men, and the vertical relationship with God cannot be separated. You can't say, oh, I love God, but I hate this person, or I don't care for this person, or I'm in a state of bitterness with this person, but I'm close to God. No. And conversely, amen, you can say, I'm close to the Lord, I feel I have a clear conscience with the Lord, I'm in fellowship with the Lord, and therefore you will be in fellowship with men as well. You will have a clear conscience before both. And that's what Paul's striving to do. And it comes through training our conscience. Romans 13.5 says that we obey laws as a matter of conscience towards men. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we're to answer unbelievers gently so that we can have a clear conscience, so that we will not feel uh, offended before them. Friends, so back to this verse, Acts 24.16 says, I strive to always keep my conscience clear before God and men. But literally the translation is saying this, I strive to keep my conscience void of offense. It's a lot different. I think it means a little more and in a better way. I don't want my, con- my conscience to be a stumbling block to me. To who? To you. You don't want to have a conscience that has offense. It's offensive to you. To walk around with a guilty conscience, an unclean conscience, will destroy your life. And that's what we often have is an unclean conscience. It's to be void of offense. So he's saying, God, I strive to always keep my conscience without offense continually toward God and men in all ways. That's his goal in life, one of his goals in life. Sometimes I find that with the, with the people who don't know the Lord, the unbelieving world, they have what we would call an underactive conscience. They don't have enough conscience, right? Look at, look at the world when you go outside of these walls. You'll see people that have too, too little a conscience than they really should have. Ah, but Christians, what can be our problem? An overactive conscience. That's where we take, it, we take ourselves into bondage too far, which is beyond what God would call us to have. So there's a danger with a believer as well to have an overactive conscience. So I'm not trying to confuse you. I know it sounds confusing, what I'm, hopefully not what I'm, what I'm saying, but as we go forward and the scriptures reveal themselves, you'll come to see more clearly of what I believe the Lord's trying to get across. What he's been trying to teach me, and I, and I hope to convey to you as well. There was an example of a counselor who said that he knew a woman in his church that would come to him and she'd say, Pastor, I try and I try and I try to serve the Lord and all I do is feel guilty and then I feel guilty for feeling guilty. Does that, does that ring a bell? Have you ever felt guilty for feeling guilty on top of feeling guilty? <laughs> and it can go on and on. So how do we look at our conscience? How do we... Uh, uh, view it. And Brother Gary read, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 10, where he read from it, we look at it just for a second here. Hebrews 10 and verse 20. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20. He's talking about Christ the high priest, and he says this, uh, actually verse 21, Hebrews 10 verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, and what's the result? Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us 
from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, the Bible's telling us we should be able to go boldly to pray to God. Hebrews 4.16 says the same thing. Go boldly to the throne of grace for help in time of need. But you can't go to the throne of grace when you have a guilty and unclean conscience. As a matter of fact, verse 20 literally tells us that our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us from, an, literally in the Greek it says, evil conscience. Christians can have an evil conscience. It may not be accurate, it may be even worse than uh, what, you're, what you're giving yourself. So that you cannot go boldly to the throne of grace. The scripture tells us we can have a clear conscience. Why? I know I'm a sinner and I know I'll continue to sin. How can I have a clear conscience? Because Christ has sprinkled your heart to have a clear conscience. Sprinkled with what? His blood. He died for your sins. That's what we sometimes fail to accept is the tremendous value of what Christ did for us on the cross. We, we can say, he saved me from my sins, but I'll still feel guilty. You're not to feel guilty when you're in fellowship with him, when you can keep in confession towards him, keep in walking in the light, um, forsaking, repenting, the cycle of Christian life that, uh, the, that the letter of John talks about, we'll see here a little later too, that you're saved once, but you're cleansed continually, Right? You're saved once and for all. Past, present, and future sins are, are claimed and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. But you need continuous cleansing to restore fellowship when you, come, when you hinder that fellowship because of sin. All right? So how does that fellowship get... You've not lost salvation. You just need to restore clear and clean fellowship with him. And that's through confession, uh, agreement, repentance, um, turning, and walking back with the Lord. And that brings back a sprinkling we see here. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. That means a one-way heart. It's not polluted with many things. It's, it's not doubtful and doubting. A true heart, full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And your hearts can be sprinkled to take care of that guilt. But you must believe that, receive it, and leave it behind. Otherwise, the accuser of the brethren and your own flesh, that... That bad, the, the angel and the devil, the devil's always going to say, no, you've not been forgiven. No, you're not good enough. No, you can't go on. You should feel terrible. You're bad. You're a bad Christian. You're a bad parent. You're this and that. Some of that is going to be true. But you have to say, but, but what has Christ done for me? See, what, what Satan wants to do is divide you away from what Christ did and keep the focus on you. And you're going to fall short compared to the cross. And that's, that's good. That should show us where we need to focus is on Christ alone and what he's done. And to not take for granted, of course, what he's done. But to not allow the enemy, our own flesh, to keep us to the point where we're fruitless and ridden with guilt unnecessarily so many times. That is why I think so many times Christians don't pray. If I asked her, I said, have you been praying much lately? Not really. Have you been reading the Bible much? Probably not so much as I'd like to. You know what the answer sometimes is? Because you've got a guilty conscience. You can't pray because you feel terrible that you're angry at someone or you're bitter or you're, 
You're unforgiving or you're falling yourself. So you can't pray. Who can go pray when they have a guilt-ridden conscience? They're not going to read the Scripture. They're not going to be in a mind willing to praise God. I want to praise God today, but I can't because I feel so terrible. I've got this evil conscience that I can't shake. Or this, this feeling or this, this attitude. And they do happen. And, and that is why the quality of our consciences is hindered. And then, what can, here's the temptation. Since we have a guilty conscience or an unclean conscience, we tend to say, well, I'll at least do externals. I'll, I'll ratchet up the, the, the works to make myself feel better. That can be a, sometimes nothing wrong with works and serving God and doing outward actions. That's what we're supposed to do as well with a clear conscience. But sometimes people can just work up the externals like the Jews of the Old Testament who could never have a clear conscience, the book of Hebrews tells us. They could never have a clear conscience because the, the sacrifices every year were a reminder that they were sinners. That's why they could never have a clear conscience. The, the Old Testament offerings weren't to make them clean. It was to tell them and remind them they were sinners and that they fell short. Whereas in the New Covenant, our time, the blood of Christ takes away not only the penalty of sin, but the guilt of sin. So many times I think Christians are aware, we call it the... We, we, we're not so bothered by so much the sins of commission because when you sin, you, seem, you will know it, right? Usually. And you'll say, oh, I, didn't, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't think like that. I shouldn't have done that. And I'll go to God and I'll say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord, please. I, I, I don't want to be like that. But you know where we feel the guilt from? So much so that the sins of what we call omission. What haven't I done? How I've failed as a father, how I failed as a mother, how I failed as a Christian, I failed as this. And we carry these, these made up, this made up guilt so many times of omission. So we burden ourselves with the sins of omission and the guilt that comes from omission. Not so much what we do and we are aware of it, but what we worry about we have not done or have not lived up to or have not become. And the enemy of our soul says, Carry that burden. Let me add more. That is why the scripture says, and I was telling my wife this week, it hit me uh, in such a good way. Paul said, I forget what is behind. Right? I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm straining towards what is ahead. The upward calling, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not saying denial. I'm not saying pretend you, you, you know, you're not doing something wrong. What he's saying is, I'm going to forget what's behind. I'm going to take it to the Lord. I'm going to, for, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to receive forgiveness. I'm going to receive cleansing. I'm going to have a clear conscience. And you can have a clear conscience every day and at any time if you would believe it and receive it and, and do it according to God's way. A clear conscience is a beautiful thing to have. That, that's what my riddle was. What is it that when you have it, you know you have it? When you have a clear conscience, you know it. There's no, there's no bondage in your life, in your mind. You're right towards God. You're right towards men. But when you don't have a clear conscience, sometimes you don't even know it. You just walk around thinking that's normal. But having a, a guilty conscience is not normal for a believer. It's a warning to us, and it should be acted upon. 
What about the, the conscience of people is so important that the scriptures even warn us that we should think of other people's consciences and how we hurt or help them in their conscience. Paul says in Romans 14 that we should accept another believer who's weak in faith and don't argue with them about disputable matters because we can hurt their conscience. He said, and he goes in a great discourse, you remember about the eating meat offered to idols and all these things, how it can hurt others. And he says, if someone with a weak conscience sees you, brother, with your knowledge, because you're mature, and you're eating in an idol's temple, he said, won't that person be emboldened to eat what's sacrificed to idols? We can hinder other people's consciences as well. We can hurt those who have a weak or a tender uh, conscience. But it really focuses on us and on me and you today. But that's how important a clear conscience is to think about others and how we live in a way that can hurt someone's tender conscience, like a child. And I was going to share with you an example of my own tender conscience when I was a young believer and how I meant well, but uh, I wasn't really obeying the Lord because I had a weak and a tender, a frail conscience, so to speak. We can also have, the scripture tells us, a defiled conscience or one that Paul said back in, in Acts chapter 24, it's filled with offense. Or we want to have a conscience void of offense, but we can have a conscience that is filled with offense. And so what is the answer to a guilty conscience? Sometimes we think it's to learn more Bible. It's not always about gaining or needing more knowledge. That's not what helps you to have a clear conscience. Just gaining knowledge. It's great to learn, and we're learning constantly, thanks to the Lord. By the Holy Spirit. You're gaining knowledge. But that's not what necessarily is going to help your conscience. But the training of your senses to take that knowledge. That's what Hebrews 5.14 said. They learn to discern good and evil by the training of their... By practicing. Practicing again and again. Training their senses to learn what the Scripture says. What the Holy Spirit says is good. And what the Lord says is evil. To know the difference. Our world... Don't listen to our world. Isaiah said it so rightly. They call good evil and evil good. That's what you're seeing today. So you can't trust the world's conscience. It's not coming from the Lord. It's coming from the enemy who holds the world in his sway. But for us, we have to learn to train our consciences. It won't happen automatically. You have to practice. And, and that's why I say uh, the scriptures are so important. The, the, the scriptures and what Jesus taught us, especially in the New Testament, is not just a belief system. It's a belief system, but it's also a life system. You, you, you know that. You know that as well as I do. It's not just learning the Bible, but it's obeying the Scriptures as well. It's not just belief, but it's a life system. Gary was talking about that today in Sunday school class, and I amen him because he was talking about legalism. And that's, that's where you, you've known legalists. Hopefully you're not a legalist, but you've known legalists because what happens is, like Gary said, they live according to law. And, and you as a believer might have known people like this. Have you known people that are so good at the scriptures, they could write, if you gave them a test on the scriptures, what does uh, the tongue mean? What is the heart? What is forgiveness? They would get a hundred. But when they walk out of the test, they're the most bitter people you've ever met. They're the cruelest, can be the most unkind, vilest people who call themselves Christians. I know many people going through my life as a Christian will say, you know I've been hurt by the most? People who call themselves Christians. It's not the world that we expect to treat us wonderfully. Matter of fact, sometimes the world's kinder 
then I say the term Christians. Now again, I say that loosely because, you know, political terms, anyone's called a rhino, you know what that stands for? Republican in name only. Well, I, I came up with the phrase crinos, Christian in name only. That means that they call themselves a Christian and they know the scriptures. They may know more scriptures than you, but they're cruel, harsh, hard people that you wonder and say, is that really what a Christian is? No, no. At least they're maybe babes. Maybe they're untrained. Maybe they have weak consciences. They don't even know it. Because we're to be like Him. Look at our Messiah. Kind, humble, gentle, forgiving and, and not overlooking sin, confronting sin with a power that shook them and made them hate Him. How could you hate such a man? Because of His love, His kindness, His truth. And that's what we're to be like. And, and the world may hate us and, and probably does hate you. And that's part of it. Because you're speaking the truth in love. It's a belief system, not a life system. You see, uh, Titus 1.15 says that. He says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to them who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Now this is really talking about unbelievers or those who claim to be believers but are not. Their mind and their consciences are defiled. They're connected. It's both work against each other. We're not to be like that. And, and you say you're a believer. Here's the problem that I have and I've had in my life is this. And I think it's true with, with anybody. We tend to know ten times more than we're doing. And that's okay. But would you would agree with that? We know so much more than what we're really applying. But that's okay because you have to learn something first, whatever it is, a musical instrument or a skill. You have to learn the information first. That's okay. But then you have to put it into application. And this is where we as Christians sometimes fall short because here's what happens. We can know a truth, believe in it, agree with it, love it, preach it, teach it, and not do it. How can that happen? Because, because here's one reason why. Say, say the tongue or unforgiveness. I believe what James says about the tongue. I, it's true. It's vile. It's set on fire by hell. It's a small thing. I agree with it totally. And then I walk out the door and I don't take it to heart. I don't watch my tongue. But I believe it. I totally believe it. I know it's true. But why do I fail to put in an action. Well, one reason is we're weak, but here's another reason why. We tend to assume, this is just my opinion, but this is how I've, I've learned about myself. Because I know it and I believe in it and I agree with it, I tend to believe I'm doing it. But that's not always true. Just because I, we know all kinds of scriptures, we're not doing. I'm not I'm picking on you or anyone. I'm saying Christians, believers. You'd be surprised... If someone could sit you down, or maybe has tried to sit down and said, you know, you believe, well, maybe if you're a parent, you've heard this. You know, mom and dad, you say this and you believe it, and I know you believe it, but you're not doing it. Or a husband or a wife, or at work or something. Because we tend to think that because we believe it and agree with it wholeheartedly, it's automatically happening in our life. But it's not always happening, because it has to be practiced. And believe me, when you try to practice forgiveness... Or, or asking God to rid us of a, a bitter spirit or sins or a tongue or whatever. See how hard it is when you really try to do it.
how much energy it takes to fight the flesh. So, the, so my warning is to just think, because you believe it, doesn't always mean you're actually doing it. And that's not to criticize you, it's to say, just be alert to your conscience. If the whole, be alert to the Holy Spirit trying to uh, teach us. Philippians 3.15, Paul says, let us live up to what we've attained. Now that means don't come backwards, but it also, I would say, means live up to what you know. You don't always need to know new knowledge as much as to live up to what you know now, which is fairly simple, through Christ. As a matter of fact, that's why First John, the elder, the elder John, always says in his first epistle, if anyone says, but, right? If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, how can the love of God be in him? He says, he believes, he thinks, he hopes, he wants. But the difference is practice, trial, fight, war. It's so easy to believe, and it's true, but so hard to fight and, and to live it out. And this is what Colossians is talking about. Paul, listen to this passage, which I always love because it's so convicting. <laughs> um, not to make you have a guilty conscience, I suppose, but Colossians 2, Paul says this. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. See the regulations, the externals? I don't handle that. I don't touch that. I won't taste that. I won't drink that. I won't smoke that. I won't say this. Go there. So I'm okay. Eh, Not necessarily. He says, these rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. So beware. He says, and this is what's fascinating, such regulations do indeed have an appearance of wisdom, don't they? I don't do that. I would never do that. Well, it has an appearance of wisdom. He says, it has an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, False humility and harsh treatment of the body. But here's here's the key you want to listen to. Listen to the end. He says, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Isn't that amazing? All these external things we can have, these regulations like the Jewish people had in the Old Testament, and even today in the New, we can have all these regulations which by themselves are not terrible. They're good things. It's good not to do those things, let's say. But to end there and say, so I'm okay then, I'm right with God. No, because here's what he would say. Does it have any value in restraining your sensual indulgences? Does it have any value in training towards not thinking harshly or evil or judgmentally or unforgiving or having a bitter spirit? Is it having anything to do with that? Does it have anything to do with restraining your flesh? Then what good are these regulations and outward standards that we have? By themselves, Paul, Paul says the Old Covenant, these acts were useless. They were useless. And this is, this is where the Pharisees fell into this category. You remember Jesus said, they'll travel over land and sea. Right? The Pharisees, he said, you will travel over land and sea to make one convert, outward acts, outward re- religion. He says, and afterwards you'll make him twice the son of hell you are. Wow. So you can't blame these Jews, right? They're Jewish priests and the Jewish you know, rabbis and Pharisees. They're going over land and sea to, to save somebody, to convert them to the Jewish religion. 
And he says, but then you make him into twice the son of Helior. Who killed Jesus? These Pharisees. Who hated Jesus? The Pharisees. Who hated God's word, which they could take a test and get a hundred on? The Pharisees. Because nothing was within them. Nothing. Hatred was there. Guile was there. Demonic activity was there. And they didn't even know it. And they thought they were serving God. Jesus said, the day will come when people put you to death thinking they do God a favor. No conscience at all. You run into this every day. Even with the religious, constantly, we find that. So these, these outward actions should have an effect on the inward man. And to me, praise God we have the Messiah because we, we like to say this side of the cross, amen, we've got the living example. We have God in the flesh who showed us how to live. He not only died in our place for sin, but showed us how to live. And we sometimes take that for granted. We'll say Jesus was a good man. He was a kind man. He, was, he loved us. Yes, he did, but he, he did it not just to waste time, but to show us how to live, to be like him. That's why you're called a Christian. Christian, it says in the book of Acts, means Christ ones. It was a mock, mocking name. You, this is a little Christ, a little Christ. Good. It says about the, the apostles, the Jews noticed their in boldness and he said they've been with Jesus. That's why they're so bold. They're becoming like him. They're becoming just like him. The one we thought we killed and got rid of. Now they're becoming just like him. So the patterns, habits, the exercising, the training of our minds do grow by God's word. Amen. I'm not saying don't get knowledge. Get knowledge. But remember, knowledge is not just for knowledge, but to apply. And the simplest things are sometimes the hardest things. Reigning in that Spirit of yours, mind, reigning in the mind, taking every thought captive, praying, forgiveness, uh, keeping uh, a clear conscience of short accounts. There should be changes in you. You should be changing. You know, if you talk to, if you know any Mormons from 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and if I went to go see my Mormon friend that I grew up with right now, I bet you he'd just be the same person I left 20 years ago. You know why? Because their, their theology doesn't change. It's not a lie. It's limited. If you, if you talk, I've talked to Joe's witnesses over several years. They don't change. Nothing changes. They have the same spewing out of doctrines. It doesn't change. Because it's not alive. It's a, it's, a, it's a false doctrine that doesn't live. It doesn't expand. It doesn't grow. It doesn't become. You and I should be changing. There should be a difference in your heart. In outward body, of course, we're getting older. The, inward, the outward man's perishing. The inward man's being renewed day by day. Amen? The inward man's being renewed. And it should be being renewed. And you should know there's a difference. Uh, Denise and I went, came from a church, and I believe it was limited. And I'm not trying to, be, to judge. I'm just talking about what I perceived. And limited in its, uh, not knowledge, some knowledge, but mainly the practice. What I'm talking about, practice wasn't big in that church. It's, you know, it's other things. Prophecy, uh, dispensationalism, end of the world, Ezekiel, Daniel, all that stuff. But not practicing like James. Not practicing, it's not, the, the, the anger of a man does not bring about the righteous life of God Christ. Anger, anger wasn't discussed or taught. Tongue, bitterness, forgiveness. Holy life, nothing. Really. Being a good old boy kind of thing. 
you should see a change. When we left that church, went back 10 years later, and it's like I was in a time capsule. Like we went back and got out, and it was like I never left. They were, I had changed, and I'm not saying so much for the better. I mean, just life. The, being a Christian, God has taken his hammer and, and changed you and put fire to you. And you change, sometimes kicking and dragging. But when I went back there, it was like I never left. The people were like 10 years back there. And I'm like, you, you guys still saying the same things? There's no change at all. Have you, have you gone through anything that's changed you? There should be change in us. And that's God's goal. You know, maybe there's some things 20 or 30 years ago that I used to think were really, really important. Really important, you know. And now, eh, maybe that wasn't such a big deal. On the other hand, there were things when I was 20 years ago that I thought weren't that important. And guess what? Now I'm realizing, wow, those are important things. That's how you grow. That's change that God brings about in your life. So how do you know then if you have a clear conscience? What do we do to keep a clear conscience? First of all, do you have a clear conscience? I would say this. Can you face anybody? Can you face them and not feel, ooh, I'm uncomfortable. I don't feel right with this brother-in-law, sister-in-law, family, church member, maybe not even here so much, maybe here, maybe down the road. I don't like them. I'm not comfortable with them. I don't want to be around them. There, there might be a good reason. I'm not saying there's no reason. But do you want to live, will you want to live like that kind of conscience? Can you face them? Can you face God? Do you know, you can, the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. It doesn't matter if they change. It doesn't matter if really it's true what you're saying. But you can have a clear conscience with them. You can, whether things change or not. Can, do you, have, can you face them? I, I, and ever since then, it seems like when I've been going over this sermon for the last month or so or studying it, uh, I have to go somewhere today that I'm having a hard time after this service. I have to go down to Rhode Island. It's going to be a difficult time. I have to face some people that is going to be... I'm, I'm like, Lord, I'm preaching on this. And I'm having a hard time facing. How do I have a clear conscience? How do I feel clean before them and, and, and to feel free? With the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And so it's been funny how difficult it is when I really try to do it. How about the Lord? Can you face the Lord? I know, I know we're in a service, and praise God, your spirit's been uh, reckoned before God, and you're, you're, you feel well before God, and in fellowship with God. Amen. But what about later in this week, and, and things happen? Can you face God? Can you pray? Sometimes, I, again, I say we don't pray because why do we want to pray if I have a guilty conscience? I can't. I'll have to go to the Lord and get clean. I'll have to go to the Lord and confess this, which I feel like I have a right to feel. But instead, the Lord's telling me, do you want to come to me and have a clear conscience? Then confess that and, and put it away. Because my, my son did that. The Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, put these things away. Even those who hated him. And mocked him, and the Bible tells us, though he had insults hurled at him, he trusted himself to his father and committed himself to him. So how do we have a clear conscience? I would say this. This, this is practical for me. Keep short accounts with men and God. Keep short accounts. In other words, if, you're, if there's people you're intimate with that you're having a conflict with, some people you're not going to get to see or whatever or get to run into to, to 
clean the account personally, but if you see them and if you come in contact with them, keep short accounts, confess to God, uh, be clean with God, be clean with them, keep short accounts with people. Don't let it, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on you while you're angry. Brother Randy was talking about um, the pastor Moody, Dwight Moody, who said, I'll let you think about the Lord, you know, next time. Come back and tell me what you think. And there was the great Chicago fire that night and thousands died. And he felt this guilt that he shouldn't have said, let's wait. Well, that's what we're saying today. That's what the Lord's saying to you today. Get it right today. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. There's been hostilities you might have with people that's been going on for years. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. They may not change. But do you want a clear conscience, a free conscience? It's beautiful. And if I look back on my life, I can count probably, you know, very short periods of time where I feel like I've had a completely clear conscience. Some of it I should have had a clear conscience. Some of it I'm carrying guilt that I shouldn't be. The Lord would have you forgive yourself. If, if God has forgiven you, who are you to carry that sin? If God has declared you righteous, if the blood of Christ has cleansed you, and you've gone to God, then let that sin go. Let the guilt go. Wake up this morning and tomorrow morning and say, I forget what's behind. It's a new day. The enemy says, no, carry yesterday's sins into tomorrow. Carry Monday's sins into Saturday. I don't mind. But the Lord would say to you, be clean today. Don't carry the guilt that you've, come, you've brought to me. The Bible says that we're not to be anxious, but cast all our anxieties upon him. Casting them on him, for he cares about us. So keep short accounts with men and God. If you don't want to have a conscience that's stumbling and offending you, you want to know the right way to serve God. Hebrews 9, I'm just going to go back to that. You were in, maybe in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 9 tells us this in verse 13. He says about, again, Gary even read a little bit this morning about Jesus being the, the high priest going to the most holy place once for all by his blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. But listen to this passage in Hebrews 9.13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean Sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. See what that just said? They're just outwardly clean. That's all. It's a ceremony. The sprinkling of the blood of the, and the ashes of heifer. It's outward cleansing, but it had nothing to do with the in, internal. He says this then. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through, see what he says, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. Himself unblemished to God. Not me and you. Him unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences. Cleanse our consciences. This is the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit will cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death that we may serve the living God. And in, the, in my version has a big exclamation point. So we may serve the living God. So we can get on with serving God. We can get on loving God. We can get on being a believer who's growing. Because we're leaving behind the external dead works and having a clear conscience. It says, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. From external things alone. This is why the Apostle John said, and this is what I'd ask you to ask God, and this is why I've been asking God, and this takes guts if you're a Christian, 
In John 3.20, Jesus said that those who uh, are believers, or actually he says, first of all, those who don't care will not come into the light. He says this, let me read it for you. He says, everyone who does evil hates the light. This is himself. He is the light of the world. Remember him. They will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. And that's why our world hates Christ, hates him, because they don't want to come into the light because their sins will be exposed as sin. He says, but whoever lives by the truth, that would be you and I, will come into the light of Scripture, of exposure of the Holy Spirit and of God, will come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. But what keeps you and I from walking in the light is we don't want that light to expose our sin. As a believer, we can confess those sins, be cleansed, have a clear conscience, and walk in that light, guilt-free. That's what he's asking us to do. And I would say to you, God, show me today. Shine your light on me and show me where I'm not right. And reveal unto me a guilty spirit and a conscience which may be, has a reason. Show me, Holy Spirit. Help me confess what I know is my fault, is my doing, is my part. Confess it. Let the blood of Christ sprinkle you clean. Receive it. The washing, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, cleanse us. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness so you can serve the living God again anew. When I was a brand new believer, that's how I lived. I was brand, young babes in the Lord know as much as we know, really. You've been married, you, you've been saved 50 years. They know as much as you do. They just, it, they were lifted up and shown it all. And then the Lord puts it, he says, see the journey? I like to picture this, you know, like Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, to a babe believer, the Lord lifts them up and he says, do you understand forgiveness? I do. Do you know my love? I do. Do you know love for others? I do. Do you want, want to serve me? I do. Okay, see that journey? There's a waterfall, there's a river, there's a creek, there's mud, there's quicksand, there's a valley, there's, there's shine, there's light, and at the end there's, there's heaven. And then the Lord puts you back down and you go. And the Lord takes his hammer and he, he takes and he bends you and he puts the fire to your metal and he takes off and he burns some more. And by the time you get to the end journey, you're a brick house. And now it's in you and it's going nowhere. But when you're young, you see it and you have it all. You've got a taste of it all. You taste and see that the Lord is good and then grow. We've all tasted right away. We know forgiveness. No one has to know it right away. It's given to us. But then he wants you to, to, to become it. And it'll become you by practicing. And just like a skilled, you know, you might go to a symphony or go to watch the Olympics and say, how did that young lady get to do those kinds of flips? How does that man play that violin in the Boston? Because they practice all the time. And they put into action what they've learned. And that's how they become so, so great at what they're doing. Also, what he wants us to become is like his son. I could, and sadly, you look around, some of these, I talk about legalism, I don't see Jesus there. Not Jesus, that's what I see. And it shouldn't be like that. So, ask God to reveal blind spots in your life. We all have blind spots. I, I, I had a truck that I drove for my business, and the rear quarter panel was metal. Oh, I hated that. I, I, every time I heard a horn, I was ready to jump out of my chair. Because I thought something was going to hit me because I can't see it. I've got a blind spot. Well, we have spiritual blind spots. 
Sometimes our own personality uh, has strengths. And if we're not careful, that our personality tends to go towards the scriptures and the, and the concepts and doctrines that we like and favor. And, and some of that's okay. There's, it's good to have things we really care about. But sometimes we leave aside those things we're weaker at. Because our personality doesn't always fit those or like those. But that's where you should focus attention. Right? What if an athlete, a tennis player, that we all know if you play tennis, what's your weaker shot? Forehand or backhand? Backhand, because that's your weaker shot. So what should tennis players do? I think I'll just work on my forehand all the time. They won't become a professional tennis player, will they? All you'll do is hit to their backhand, they'll miss every one. So they have to learn to take their weaknesses down. They have to fight those things that they're not good at. Like you have to fight spiritually. Gee, I don't like reading the Bible. I just, I have a hard time reading the Bible. Good, start reading the Bible. I have a hard time with prayer. Other people love to pray. They can pray all the I have trouble with prayer. Good, start to pray. Pray, pray, pray. That's what you're weak at. Love, forgiveness. I, whatever I have to fight, you have to practice that and, and fight those things that are your weaknesses the most. That's what you should pray for with me. And I'll tell you, it's difficult because it's, you're not seeing a lot of victory right away, but it's building and it's building and it's building until there's no more weaknesses left. I'd like to share a, 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 a personal uh, story about myself. And, and I'll go to 1 Peter 3. We're ending on, a, on baptism of all things. If you would see where, You'll see where I'm going with that. When uh, 1 Peter 3 talks about baptism and it says this. It says... Um, Speaking about patiently in the days of Noah, it says, and, and in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now also saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. I always thought that was the weirdest phrase to put with baptism. What has that got to do with anything? He's talking about baptism protecting us. He uses Noah in the ark as a picture that they were saved through water. They were brought safely through water. And then he says, eight, eight were saved. And he says, and now baptism now saves you or brings you through or is a symbol. He says, not of a removal of dirt from the body, right? You don't get baptized because you're dirty and you need to take a bath, right? Obviously. So how does baptism save us? Well, we're saved by faith in Christ. We know that. There's nothing to add. And that was, that was my problem. Here's where I had a weak and a tender conscience. When I was saved in 1979, I was in the military and the Air Force. And for some reason, I got it in my head that I was glorifying God by not getting baptized in water. Why? You'd say. Why wouldn't you get baptized? Well, because in my brain at the time... I was so on fire for grace alone and salvation by faith alone that I was not going to be baptized because I wanted the world to know that I wasn't adding anything on to my faith. See what I'm getting at? I was a babe, you know, I'm a young Christian. So I was so proud, not, not proud, but so in, animated about not being baptized because I wanted everything. I'm not adding baptism. I'm saved by faith in Christ. That's the gospel. True. Saved by faith in Christ, Right. I didn't get baptized for almost... I was talking to my wife about it. For three years after I was saved, I did not get baptized. And, and Brother Gary, you're not here hearing this, but I would say, you know how he always talks about, on the back of the bulletin, talks about being baptized if you've not been baptized? He is so right. Be baptized. If you're a Christian and you've not been baptized, please be baptized. Not to be saved. You're already saved by faith. But I'll tell you why it's so important. 
And it, it ends with our idea of, of a clear conscience. So what happened? I, I, I met my wife. I came home a year later, back to Massachusetts, met her. I still wasn't getting baptized. I think it was almost three years. And finally I said to her, you know, I'm starting to feel like that was silly. You know, I started to grow maybe. And, and I said, I think it was silly that I was so adamant about not being baptized in water, immersed. I'm going to get baptized. And I was baptized. Amen, right? <laughs> I was baptized. But I saw it differently. I saw it as not something that was saying I didn't believe in faith alone. I had a weak and tender conscience. I had an untrained conscience. But I meant well, right? But I finally was baptized. And this is why it's so important to be baptized right away. Because interestingly, this, this phrase that sounds strange makes sense. At least I'll give you the reason why I think. He says, baptism now saves you or completes you or makes you whole. Not that your salvation is not whole. Again, see the, see the quandary I was in. He says, not a removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that mean, a pledge of a, of a pure conscience before God? That's odd. Well, here's what I think it means, too. Remember how when people in the New Testament were first saved, what happened? What did they do? Ethiopian uh, eunuch. Here's water, right? Paul, he, he was baptized by an ice within a few days. Um, the Philippian jailer in his household, what? Baptized immediately, right? The New Testament tells us that when you are saved, you should be baptized as soon as you can. Why? It has nothing to do with saving you. You're saved by faith in Christ. But what you're doing is, and this is what I, I see is so important, is, and you did this as a believer and you made it, maybe didn't even know it. When you came up out of the waters, what you were saying to the Lord is you were confirming what you already said in faith in your heart by grace, that you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And by coming up out of the water, you know what you were then saying? God, please help me to from now on, I pledge to you, and it really means pleading with God for a clear conscience for the rest of my life. Help me, God. Now, when I come up out of these waters of baptism through faith in Christ, help me, help me, God, I pledge to you a clear conscience. Help me to get and keep a clear conscience for the rest of my life until I see you. That's what you said at baptism. You were begging God and pleading with God so that you would always have a clean and a clear conscience. And how sweet a clear conscience is. But something might have happened as time went on as a believer and you lost the conscience and you felt more guilt than clear conscience and you felt more evil in a, like, like Hebrew says, an evil conscience. What happened? The enemy, the flesh, our weaknesses convinced us somehow the blood of Christ wasn't enough now. Somehow it wasn't enough. I still failed. It must not be enough. At least with me. I guess subconsciously I'm thinking, maybe I'm not trusting the blood of Christ. Or maybe I'm taking advantage of the blood of Christ. No, you're not. It's the only thing you have as a believer. Praise God. It's all you need. It's all you have to have is the blood of Christ. But you, as a believer, you're saved by faith, always will be saved, and finally saved, and he will usher you into his kingdom. That's true. Amen. But are you, do you realize that in the sense that you have a clear conscience? Maybe even today you came in with an awful conscience. It's like a bad cold. It's like a virus, a spiritual virus in your head. And, and I remember one time the Lord said that to me. I, was, I had guilt and, 
And I felt like he said in my spirit, you have to forgive yourself. There was something I felt guilty over, and I had prayed and asked God to forgive me. I confessed it, but I still felt this guilt, and I felt like the Lord said to me, you have to forgive yourself. I've forgiven you, but you won't forgive yourself. Do you want a clear conscience to wake, go home even now, ask God to cleanse you, receive that cleansing of the blood of Christ? Keep short accounts between men and God. Keep it short. Just run back and forth like a, like a child to his mom and dad who wants to make sure he doesn't lose sight of them. And that's how you have a clear conscience. I hope that hearing, hearing this and seeing those passages today, maybe you never thought much about a clear conscience. We just zoom past it. It's very important. It was very important to Paul. So much that he spoke about it. And if you've not been baptized, I urge you, as well as Pastor Gary, if he was here, he'd be amening it, right? He would say, amen, brother, because being baptized is asking God. And you're, you're saying, Lord, I love what I've done, and I'm appealing to you, and I plead with you, help me to keep a clear conscience. May I be right with you. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Be right with him. He's, he's ready. He's always willing to cleanse his children and receive them back into fellowship. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this time of looking at your word and, and seeing the, great, uh, the greatness of a clear conscience and how it's available to your people and how the enemy of our souls, the accuser of the brethren, and sometimes, Lord, even our own flesh will not allow us to walk in a clean walk before you and, and to take the way of Christ, the way of forgiveness and the way of cleansing. And we may be, sound contradictory, Lord, to say we believe we've been forgiven of our sin but, but not of the guilt that we bear. And the two are the same, Lord. We are also forgiven and the guilt is taken away in Christ. And Lord, if there's any here this morning, Lord, that realize they're really not yours, they're not a child of the King, that even now they would say that they can be forgiven of their sins if they look to Christ as their Savior. If they look at Him as the only way towards heaven and to be forgiven of sin, the debt has been paid by Him and they can receive that payment, that righteousness that comes through faith in Him. Help them today to do that. And Lord, if, if there are your children here today who have been carrying so much guilt, Lord, help them not to feel as though they can't be clean. Let them know they can be clean and to walk with such freedom and liberty and joy. The scripture tells us that we're to have joy. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Maybe they've not had joy in a long time. Lord, help them to have liberty, freedom from the guilt of sin and joy in the Holy Spirit. Lord, help them today. Help me, fathers, as I go out of this place and have to walk in their shoes and my shoes and the same walk as a, as a believer to remember these things and to fight the flesh and to not regard it as, as a victor but as one that's been conquered through Christ and His blood. We pray it and ask it and thank you mostly for your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And we have a closing song. We're going to sing together. It's number 397.